Thank you for listening to Christ Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring. And because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and, and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. So I absolutely love the fact that we have the pulpit front and center of the stage. That was one of the things when we planted this church that we determined to do because the preaching of the word is central to the service. We come to hear from the Lord, not merely to sing, to pray, but to hear from God because his sheep hear his voice. And they love the voice of the master. So, would you turn with me to Isaiah, or sorry, Hosea, Hosea chapter 5. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Hear this, O priests. Pay attention, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king, for the judgment is for you. For you have been a snare of Mitzpah, and a net spread upon table. And the revolters have gone deep into slaughter, but I will discipline all of them. I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you have played the whore. Israel is defiled. Their deeds do not permit them to return to God, and the spirit of boredom is within them. And they know not the Lord. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Israel and Ephraim stumble in his guilt. Judah also shall stumble with them. With, with their flocks and herds they shall go to seek the Lord. But they will not find him. He has withdrawn from them. They have dealt faithlessly with the Lord. For they have borne alien children. Now the new moon shall devour them in their fields. Blow the horn in Gibeah. And the trumpet in Ramah. Sound the alarm of Beth of End. We follow you, O Benjamin. Ephraim shall be a desolation in the day of punishment among the tribes of Israel. I make known to the shore. The princes of Judah have become like those who move the landmark, and upon them I will pour out my wrath like water. Ephraim is oppressed, crushed in judgment, because he is determined to go after filth. But I am like a moth to Ephraim, and like a dry rock to the house of Judah. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to the great king, but he is not able to cure you or heal your wound. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim, and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off, and none, no one shall rescue. I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face in their distress. Earnestly seek me. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn, and he will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like a dew that goes away early. Therefore, I have hewn them by my prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And my judgment goes forth as the light. 
For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. But like Adam, they have transgressed the covenant, they have dealt faithlessly with me. Gilead is a city of evildoers, tracked with blood. As robbers lie in wait for a man, so the priests band together. They murder on the way to Shechem. They commit villainy. In the house of Israel, I've seen a horrible thing. Ephraim's whoredom is there. Israel is defiled. For you also, O Judah, harvest is appointed. When I restore the fortunes of my people. This is the word of the Lord. Now he return with me to verse 1. As we hear the scriptures together, let us humble our hearts to receive them. Hear this, O priests. Pay attention, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king, to the judgments for you. For you have been a snare at Mitzvah, and a net spread upon Tabor, and the revolters have gone deep into slaughter. But I will discipline all of them. So here God is warning everyone. Hear this, O priests, O people, O house of Israel, every single person from the lowest to the highest. This judgment is for you. Listen up. The people of Israel have gone astray. They have gone into idolatry. They've intermarried amongst the peoples, and the peoples have led them to worship other gods. He compares them to a snare. He says, you are a snare set upon mitzvah and a net laid upon a table. Because the people would lie in wait for their brethren to come and bring their sacrifices to worship the Lord. And all the way, they would hide and they would spring on their neighbors, kill them and take their stuff. They've gone to even robbing the house of Israel. They're like nets and snares into which their hapless kinsmen fall. Their livestock are stolen and not even offered to gods. They're offered to Baal. They're offered to false gods. And God's told them, I will discipline all of them. Let's go to verse 3. I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you play the whore. Israel is defiled. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. For the spirit of whoredom is within them, and they know not the Lord. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Israel and Ephraim shall stumble in his guilt. Judah shall also stumble with them. With their flocks and herds, they shall go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him, for he is withdrawn from them. They have dealt faithlessly with the Lord, and they have borne alien children. Now the new moon to devour them with their thieves. There's a lot to un unpack in these verses. But some of the simple things that we cannot miss is this. He said, I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. How deceived we are to think that we can hide our sins from omniscient God. But we all do it, don't we? We all see that we act like children and play the game. You can't see me. If I just close my eyes, if I just hide myself, you can't see me. 
God sees all. Even though we can deceive others, we can deceive ourselves, God cannot be deceived. It's so easy to look back at Israel worshiping Israel and Judah and Ephraim in this passage, worshiping false gods and say, oh, they're so dumb. I would never look at a statue and bow down to it. I would never craft for myself an idol. I wouldn't chop down a tree and use half of it to build a fire and half of it worship as a god. But the nature of idolatry is deceptive. All of our hearts lust after idols. An idol is not merely a graven image. It's not merely a depiction of a false god. It is anything promises to do what God alone can do. Is anything that, that promises that fulfillment that we find in God and Christ. Is anything that we put our trust in that is not God. And so there are many different forms that our idolatry can take. Um, especially these days it's easy to see um, particular idolatry such as self-identity. Anybody have a TikTok account? No, don't, don't, don't get into that. <laughs> but um, sometimes you see these videos um, from, that come from these TikTok accounts, these short little videos that people will post. And all these videos, they will say, my name is such and such, and my pronouns are X and Y. And, and this is what I'm attracted to, this is what I do, this is what I'm like. And they have like a 30, like 30 second to a minute where they're just describing this made up identity that they have for themselves. Some of them, some examples were like, um, I am, um, my name is Bug, and I, my pronouns are Bug and Bug Self. And so whenever you refer to Bug, you just refer to it. Bug is doing this and Bug Self is doing that. And they have created for themselves an identity that is around their preferences. And they have said, what God has made, I have remade into this. And you will refer to me as this. And you will acknowledge my lust. You will acknowledge my warped mind. Or you are a hater. Other pronouns, Z, Zim, Mix, Mix Self, E, M, Hairs, Z, Zim, Zairs. To spirit, you get the picture. We have crafted for ourselves identities based on preferences, on what particular sins that we lead into. What God has made, I will remake into my own image. That's not so subtle, <laughs> but it is a form of idolatry. Um, other ones, um, like statism. Where we, we say our rights, our privileges, everything we have is granted to us by the state, and therefore the state can take that away. And we say, no one would ever say that out loud, but we have allowed that over the last two years. We said the state can take away my right to go um, to church. They can close our churches. They can force us to cover our faces. They can't force us to get vaccines to keep our jobs. That, in a sense, is, 
just stays in it. It is acknowledging that our right to work comes from the state, and therefore the state must regulate that. That's another form of idolatry, and it's one that we see increasingly in the last two years. But idolatries are anything, our affections that are drawn to anything that promises that alone which God can give. Fulfillment, safety, pleasure. We go lusting after idols all the time. They're just not as obvious as graven images. Idolatry is subtle. The devil's come up wearing masks. I'm the devil. Much like people were led to sacrifice their children to the false god Molech in the Old Testament to give their own children away so that they would receive prosperity. So also when they're being tempted to, to have their children murdered and ripped apart, that they can have a chance to fulfill their dreams that their dreams can be fulfilled. That's idolatry. So lest we think that we're better than Israel and Ephraim and Judah, we tend to do the same things, but for the grace of God. But notice in this passage, there's a very troubling phrase. In verse 4, their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. The truth is, they were hardened past the point of repentance and their obstinate worship of false gods. The terrifying reality is that repentance is not something that we drum up. It's not something that humans do. It's not something that we can wipe out and say, oh, I'm going to repent. I'm going to repent. The truth is that God grants repentance. There are a couple of passages I want to reference here. In Acts chapter 11, verse 18. When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, glorified God saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. God grants repentance that leads to life. In 2 Timothy, you are given the charge starting in verse 22. 2 Timothy 2, starting in verse 22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorance, and controversies. For you know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must be, not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them Repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do their will. 
the reality is repentance is not something that comes from the human heart. It's something that's given to us by God. It's not something that we drum up. It's not something that we can do apart from the Spirit. And that should give us pause. When we, when we see this phrase, their deeds do not permit them to return to God. John tells us in 1 John, no one knows. If we willfully pursue sin, there may not be repentance on the other side of that sin. I'm going to go into that just a little bit. John tells us that no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So you've heard it said, we're all children of God. Well, it's not true. Some are children of the devil. In fact, we were all under the control of the devil before Christ rescued us, before he bound the strong man and stole his goods. We all were under the snare and control of the devil, and many, many still are. But if we willfully pursue sin, if we go knowingly after false gods, there is a chance that like, like Ephraim, our deeds would not permit us to return to God. We would be hardened past the point of repentance. We're going to go into that a little bit more. What this looks like is for the spirit of whoredom is within them, and they know not the Lord. They've forgotten God. They did not know him. And God will make Israel confront his pride face to face. He's not going to allow them to continue in the way that they're going. He is going to rescue them. But it's not going to be of their accord. They're not going to be the ones to turn it around. It's going to have to be God. It's going to have to be supernatural. Because repentance is granted to us. So he tells them, the pride of Israel testifies to his face. Israel and Ephraim shall stumble with his guilt, and Judah shall also stumble with him. God's not going to let them keep bebopping along in their sin. He's going to cause them to fall and fall hard. They're going to stumble, and they will be made to see that things are not right. They will not continue in the reveling. They will fall, fall hard. They will panic. He says here, when they're with their flocks and their herds, they shall go to seek the Lord in panic and say, oh, we messed up. We're going to go grab all of our sheep and go and sacrifice them to the Lord. But they won't find him. For he is withdrawn from them. They have dealt faithlessly with the Lord. And have born alien children. Now God had commanded the people of Israel to not intermarry with their surrounding tribes and nations because they would lead them aside to false gods. This is exactly what they have done. They have born to their alien children or 
children who are not of the light. And they will be made to feel the cruelty of their idolatry. Their intermarriage with pagans will undo them. Well, I remember in Proverbs, bad company corrupts good morals. The very one who wrote that ended up going astray and intermarrying with idols, with those who worship idols. His heart was drawn away from the Lord. And that's one of the things that we have to remember, young men and women, when we're looking for a spouse, when we're looking for someone to start a family with. Be equally yoked. Know that they're a person who's born again, who worships God, who loves God with their heart. Because if they don't, if their first order love is not in order, then how can you expect their second place to be in order? Their heart must be set on God. They perform new moon rituals and rites, hoping for prosperity. But God said, now the new moon shall devour them with their fields. They were left desolate and devoured. We can deceive men, but we cannot deceive God. We must, after idols constantly, John Calvin said, the heart is a factory of idols, constantly going astray. And it is possible to be hardened past the point of repentance, to yield oneself to the spirit of horror. Our lusts are designed to lead us astray to utter destruction, to the forgetting of God. We make a mistake when we treat sin as something to be indulged in, like a cream puff, like a dessert. It's like, I know I shouldn't, but it tastes really good. So I'll just sneak a little bit. Really, Sunday said, people, if they treated sin like a cream puff instead of a rattlesnake, that it is, we see the deception that's built into it. It's something small, it's something, you know, it might make me fat. But I'm going to eat it. It's, it's bad for me. I know that. But I'm going to indulge in it. But we forget it's not just bad for you. It's deadly. It may be a little rattlesnake. The little ones are very poisonous. We play with sin the same way that we would play with a vial of contagious disease. With poison. With something that could kill us. Because it is designed at its very root to kill us, to bring us down. It's not something to be played with, it's something to be avoided at all costs. You may say just a little bit, just a little bit more, but the horrifying reality of sin is that if we willfully continue in it, if we make a practice of it, then the little revelation that we have about God may become and I'm not talking about those who are truly born again in Christ. I'm talking about those who pursue their sin and make a practice of sinning. They reveal, as John said, that they were never of us to begin with. They were not born again because no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. 
and it's true for those who have tasted and have seen. Much like Jesus said with his parable of the soils, to receive the seed, but for the seed to be choked out, for the seed to be stolen away, for the seed to be burned by the sun. We can receive a little of the truth and walk away from it without having been born again. So in this we ought to take warning because it is not within our power to turn from sin. It's granted to us by God. Repentance is granted by God. And if we say just a little, just a little more, we can end up being lost. We'll turn around and not remember the way back. We'll not find God because we've forgotten Him. And the false gods that, pro that promised us pleasure, that promised us provision, that promised us safety, really shall be false. And we will end up, much like God is declaring for them, that they will be devoured. But there's hope. As I said, repentance is not of us, it's of God. And that means it's a gift of grace. This means that God can save anyone. No one is past the point where they can be saved by God until they draw their final breath. God can save anyone because because the work is supernatural, because it is a gift of the Spirit, because it is grace. No one, no one is past being saved. And therefore we pray. Therefore we share the gospel. Therefore we preach and evangelize because faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Christians, take the warning. Do not indulge in sin. Because in doing so, you may reveal that you were not born again. Those who are far from Christ know that God can change your heart. He can turn it into a stream in his hand. You are not beyond hope. If you feel any tenderness towards God, if you say, I have committed sins, that would not permit me to return to God. Say, God would never love me. God would never accept this rebel. If you feel any tenderness towards Christ, if you feel any love towards God, that is not more than the human heart. Our nature is completely against God. But if you feel that tenderness towards God, His people and His ways, and you say, I love the Lord Jesus Christ, and I submit my life to Him, and take that as evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in you, that He has given you faith, He's granted you repentance, and then go. Repent. Turn from our idols. Call on Him. Follow His grace. He has given us grace upon grace. And like a surgeon, God wounds to heal. Let's read further. Verse 8. Blow the horn in Gibeah, the trumpet in Ramah, sound the alarm in Bethaven. We follow you, O Benjamin. 
Ephraim shall become a desolation in the day of punishment among the tribes of Israel. I make known what is sure. The princes of Judah have become like those who move the landmark. Upon them I will pour out my wrath like water. Ephraim is oppressed, crushed in judgment because he was determined to go after filth. But I am like a moth to Ephraim and like a dry rot in the house of Judah. He's telling them, pay attention, sword, famine, pestilence, captivity. That's all coming for you because you're determined to go after filth. And he says this, I make known what is sure. I make known what is sure. God knows the future because God plans the future. God accomplishes the future. He knows for sure what is going to happen. But this is also a reference to his law. I make, I make known what is sure. God has given them his law. He has clearly set the boundaries, black and white. He has demarcated what he expects of them. He is clear. The princes, the princes are like those who move landmark, who go to the edge of a property where the landmark boundaries are and they adjust it for their own purposes. They take the landmark stone and say, no, I think I want a little bit more land. So while their neighbor's not looking, they adjust a few. And God says they have done this with his law. They're like those who move the landmark. What God has made clear and where he has set boundaries, they take those boundaries and say, Let's make this sin more permissible. Let's change this. Or on the other side, with asceticism, God has permitted this in his word, but you know, I think it would be better if we made it a little bit more strict. We're like those who move the boundary posts on what God has said. Much like modern false teachers play fast and loose with God's word and its declarations. Where God says, let women keep silent in the church to say, woman, preach away. Use that gift that God's given you. They say, homosexual unions, well, same-sex unions, they can be, they can be holy. Wrath is coming for those who move the boundary posts. For those who transgress God's law, he warns them, I will pour out my wrath like water. Those who profane and contort God's word, the wrath of God will be poured out like a flood. So they'll be utterly swept away. And that's why not many of us ought to be teachers, because teachers receive a stricter judgment. We ought to tremble every time we walk to this pulpit. And that's why it is upon you, our church, the members of our church, to hold us accountable to preaching the word, to preaching the text. Because ultimately, the authority has been granted to you. He held the Galatians responsible, as we just read um, a few months ago, for receiving the false teachers and entertaining them. And so it is upon us to preach the word, to not hold back from saying what it says and to not adjust it. My job 
as a waiter, not a chef. Right? I am to deliver what God has prepared to you, not to deliver myself. Let us not be like those who move the boundary posts. Ephraim determined to go after filth, and therefore he is oppressed by the wicked. The wicked nations were coming to enslave, captivate, plunder Israel and Judah. But it's not merely the unbelieving pagans who punish them. They're tools in the hands of God. He says, Ephraim was oppressed, crushed in judgment because he was determined to go after filth. But I, the Lord, am like a moth to Ephraim, like a dry rot to the house of Judah. See, God himself was punishing them. He was disciplining them. He said that he's like a moth. At the end of his judgment, they will wither under his judgment like a moth-eaten garment, eaten through like a dry rotted fabric that disintegrates to the touch. That's what they'll be like under his judgment. But again, God wounds like a surgeon to heal. The needle that causes a hole in the flesh pulls a thread behind it to close the wound. Listen to this. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to the great king, but he is not able to cure you or to heal your wound. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off and no one shall rescue. I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress earnestly seek me. God wounds and no one else can heal. God compares himself to a lion in his prime, a young lion. No man or beast would dare to come between him and his prey. And here he is tearing and carrying away Ephraim and Judah. God's wounds are meant to disabuse us of our idols. They're meant to shape our faith and our idols because their promises are empty. Their power is false. They cannot wound like God can wound, and they cannot heal like God can heal. God wounds us to show that our idols cannot heal us, and he heals us to show that our idols cannot He alone is God. When we realize that we are utterly dependent upon God, we will return to him. We'll earnestly seek him, hat in hand. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. And he will come to us as the spring showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. God's wounds are not merely vengeful. God is not being cruel. He is wounding us to heal us. And that we may live before him.
As Jared said last week, this, this verse, this, this passage is a messianic passage. It points us to Christ who was wounded on our behalf. He says after two days, after two days, so on the third day, on the third day he will raise us up that we may live before him. Hundreds of years before Christ walked the earth in human flesh. This very fact that we celebrate at Christmas time that Jesus came and he put on human flesh. He was slain for us. He is the good shepherd that came at Christmas. It was no mistake that among the first people to come to the manger were the shepherds. Because Christ was born the good shepherd. He's the chief of their order. So all the shepherds come to see the good shepherd laid in the feeding trough. He who would be torn for our sin. He, would, he that would rise us from the dead that we may live before him. He will not abandon his children. He sought us out and brought us home. And this is the good news of the gospel. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Unlike the sure love of God that was manifested in Christ, our love is fleeting. This is the morning dew. It's here and gone, withered by the heat of the sun. Do not trust in your affections for God to save you. There are days when we skip devotion, we, we leave off praying, we fail God innumerable ways we say oh my love for God is cold we see it's fading fleeting God saves us not because of our love for him but his love for us his love is steadfast and sure it will come again he will come to us as the showers as the spring rains on the earth Unlike the sure love of God, our love is shifting and fading as a this. Do not trust it. Do not rely on your affections for assurance of your salvation. Rely on the love of Christ. And where do we see that? As we just saying, we look to the cross. We see his love forever proved. When we look to the cross, we don't see our worth. We see we deserve to die like that. We deserve to die on that cross. But he did it for us. Yes. And as surely as he came, as surely as he died, as surely as he rose again, we are steadfastly held by him in Christ. Do not trust your own affections for assurance. Look at the love of Christ. His judgment goes forth as the light, and he desires for us to know him. He doesn't just want your stuff. 
He doesn't want you to come to church simply that you can give money and do good things. He wants you. He wants you to know Christ. He desires that more than anything we can give to him. Verse 7. But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. Gilead is a city of evildoers, tracked with blood. As robbers lie in wait for a man, so the priests band together. They murder on the way to Shechem. They commit villainy. In the house of Israel, I've seen a horrible thing. Ephraim's horde was there. Israel is defiled. For you also, Judah, a harvest appointed when I restore the fortunes of my people. We're reminded that these figures in the Old Testament are not our hope. He compares them to Adam, the very first covenant breaker. Faithless. So is Ephraim. So much so that even the priests of Gilead, the people who were God ordained and appointed to observe the sacrifice and to facilitate the reconciliation of people to God, they're the very ones who are preying on the people of God. They're murderers. They're the ones who are supposed to be caring for them. Shepherds are supposed to be caring for the sheep. Instead, they are killing and eating the sheep themselves. Beware of men like that. Beware of those who would, who would use you to profit in worldly ways. Those who would seek to feast on God's people to use them. Because Jesus is the faithful shepherd. Where Adam failed, where Ephraim failed, Jesus succeeded. He lived a holy life, fully obedient to the Father at every point that we failed. Jesus is the faithful shepherd to whom we should look. So I invite you this morning. Because we know know the state of our hearts. We know the state that we're in and we constantly sin and go astray. But our hope is in our good shepherd who leaves the 99 and comes to find us. Who left the glories of heaven that he may inhabit a human body and come and save us. Our trust is in him and him alone. He has appointed for us a harvest. What we reap, what we sowed in evil, he reaped on the cross. The death that we, that we sowed, he died. By his righteous life, the reward of God, eternity, and heaven has been granted to us because we reap what he sowed in his righteous life. So let us leave off of our madness. Repent and turn to God. This repentance is supernatural. It is granted. Let's pray that God would save 
those who are far from him. Would you join with me? Dear Heavenly Father, you are good. And we are not. You are faithful. We are faithless. Lord, we thank you that you have satisfied the covenant. You've sealed it with the blood of Christ. And God, if there are any here this morning that are wandering far from you, if their deeds do not permit them to return to you, God, I pray that you would grant them repentance. I pray that you would save them, that you would wound to heal like a surgeon, that you would remove the death from our bodies, the stony heart, that you would give a heart of flesh, that you would bind us up, that we may worship. You alone are worthy of all our love and praise to you. Help us to sing to you. Help us to love you with our whole hearts, knowing that we receive through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We ask in his name. Amen.